There are many, many videos that were sent in, and we'll be giving you the links so that you'll be able to see all the videos from around the world, uh, just loving you and saying thank you to both of you. It is my joy and privilege to introduce a special speaker, uh, not brand new to King of Kings, he's been here a few times, uh, but one of Mark's best friends, uh, Mark Schultz here, so it's Marky Mark, uh, let you figure out who is who where, uh, but uh, you know, they are uh, both two people that love, share a love for golf, share a love for gin, and share a love for the gospel. And so let's give a King of Kings welcome for Pastor Mark Schultz. Thanks. Thanks. So I've got a picture I want you to see. Uh, this is the famous road hole at the old course in St. Andrews. Now, they've been golfing in St. Andrews for uh, like 500 years or something like that. And, uh, and the road hole is famous there because it is largely thought to be the hardest golf hole in the whole world. Now, uh, let me just tell you for a second why it's such a hard hole. It starts with your drive. You're standing on the first tee, and if you can go to that next picture, please, to show what that looks like. If you want to be a wimp, you can kind of hit it to the left, and, but then you're going to be in the rough and a long way from the, from the green. But if you really want to play the hole the way it's designed, you have to hit your drive where that red line is in that picture. You have to hit your drive over a building a part of the Old Course Hotel. You've got, to, you've got to hit your drive right over that. And in fact, that red line on there, actually, that's a little too far left. You want to kind of go right over uh, the middle uh, of the, where it says course there uh, to hit your drive in the perfect spot. So that's, that's scary. But, but that's not why it's the hardest hole in golf. Once you get out in the fairway, now you've got to hit your shot into a green. If we go to the next picture there, a green that actually has a road running around behind it and next to it. That's why they call it the road hole. And that road, you don't get a free drop or anything like that. That road is in play. And in fact, there's actually a little wall that runs behind the green there. And uh, that's a picture of a mutual friend of Mark's and mine, Don Cruzy, who found himself right up against the wall there on the road hole. And you got to play it that way. You can't move it. Uh, so, so Don actually tried to ricochet it off the wall towards the green and almost killed me, by the way, when... Uh, when that happened. And if that wasn't enough, cut into the front of the green is the thing they call the road hole bunker. There it is. And you can see how steep it is. And what you can't really totally tell from that picture is all the surrounding area around it doesn't funnel away from that bunker. It funnels into that bunker. So any ball that catches the slope there is going to end up in that bunker. It has taken some professional golfers three or four shots to get out of that bunker. In fact, there are some that if they get in there, they don't even try to get it on the green. They just turn and hit it backwards or sideways out just so they can get out. It is an incredibly difficult hole. Now, when, when I had the privilege to play that hole, I, I got a bogey on that hole, which is one over par. And I was a little disappointed, and as we walked off the hole, my caddy looked at me, and in this beautiful Scottish brogue, which I'm not going to try to imitate for you, he said, Mark, a bogey's a good score on that hole. You should be proud of yourself. And, uh, and then he said, he said, I, I, I caddy here eight years, I caddy almost every day, and uh, in a year I might see just a couple dozen pars, that's it. And I said to him, I go, well, how many birdies have you seen? And he goes, Mark, in eight years, I have not seen a single birdie on this hole. 
Pastor Mark Zender has birdied the road hole. Yeah. Now, 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 now why, why am I telling you that? I mean, you know, other than, you know, we love golf. Why am I telling you that? Well, I, I, I'm telling you that because here's what I believe. After playing golf almost my whole life, after uh, watching a lot of different people play golf, one of the things I've learned is I believe the way you play golf says a lot about the way you live life, or in Mark's case, the way you do ministry. I mean, if you, if you cheat at golf, you cheat in life. If you cut corners in golf, you will cut corners in life. If you, if you play it safe in golf, you will play it safe in life. And, uh, and so I think it's really important in this legacy series, and today as we honor Mark and Sharon for their years of ministry here, to, to think about Mark's legacy here as your senior pastor for those years and say, what can we learn about his ministry from his birdie on the road hole, because I think there's some things we can learn there. Now, by, by the way, one just little note. Last time I was here with you and had the privilege to preach, uh, Mark introduced me, and, and in the beginning, he said, he, he said Mark, you know, he's talking about me, he said, loves to golf. In fact, you know, he, he's the better golfer between the two of us. And I was like, oh, no, Mark, I'm, you're the better golfer. We we're both lying. We both think we're the better golfer, right? But on this particular day, Mark was the better golfer. And, uh, and, and so what can we learn? Well, first of all, I think the first thing we can learn about Mark from how he played the road hole that day is he lives life and does ministry with an incredible amount of courage. You see, when you're standing on that first, uh, on that tee of the 17th hole, and you're looking at that building that you've got to hit your drive over, one of the things you couldn't see on that picture, but believe me, you see it when you're there in real life, is that wall that said the old course on it, that wall is covered with dents from golf balls. People that just stepped up and just drilled one right into the side of the building. And there's this fear that you're going to do that, but, but when Mark played that hole that day, he, he had a ton of courage, and he didn't wimp out and hit the ball left. He aimed right down over the middle of that, and he, he crushed his drive right over it, right into the middle of the fairway. Now, Deuteronomy uh, 31 says this. Moses is talking to God's people uh, on beh- behalf of God, and he says this to them. He says, be strong and courageous. You see, they're about to enter the promised land, the land that God promised to them, and it's, it's filled with warring nations. And uh, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified for them, because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Folks, when, when you look back on Mark and Sharon and, and their ministry journey, one of the first things you have to see is you have to see a ton of courage. I mean, right out of seminary. Where do they get sent? They get sent to Arkansas. Now, there's not a lot of Lutherans in Arkansas, I'll tell you. And, uh, and, and by the way, this is kind of a dirty little secret that people don't know. When you're at the seminary, they kind of ask you where you want to go to do ministry, and then they send you the opposite. That's kind of the way that happens. And so it took incredible amounts of courage for them to, to pack up and head to Arkansas for ministry. And then after a while in Arkansas to go to Tennessee of all places to do a new mission plant. And it took courage for them to come here to Omaha to this, to this big, great church and become a part of the ministry team here. And uh, it, it's taken courage every step of the way through this ministry. In fact, so much courage that you guys actually for a while had a conference called the Courageous Church Conference. 
This has been a courageous ministry, willing to try things and and willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reaching people with Jesus, for the sake of living out that urgency that Zach was talking about just a little bit ago. And one of the things that we have seen in your senior pastor, one of the things that guys that have got to know him um, from the church at large have seen is he does ministry with an incredible amount of courage. There's something else we can learn from that birdie on the road hole that day. He found himself on the green with about a 15-foot putt for birdie. And when when he realized the magnitude of that putt, when he realized, if I make this putt, I'm going to birdie the hardest golf hole in the world, I'm sure that inside there were some butterflies. And maybe his knees were shaking just a little bit. And, uh, and, And maybe there was just a little bit of fear there, a little bit of excitement there. But I guarantee you this, even though I wasn't with him that day, I know that on the outside, you didn't see any of that. On the outside, all you saw was this sense of peace and confidence and this little smirk he gets on his face when he's about to do something really cool on the golf course. That I have seen a number of times. Now, now by the way, just a little side note. When Mark first told me this story, it was an eight-foot putt. When he told it recently, it was a 15-foot putt. I'm pretty sure that if someday we find ourselves in the same nursing home, he's going to be going, Mark, you remember that 35-foot putt I made for birdie on the road hole? What I'm trying to say is, when things get tough, when a lot of people would get nervous, when a, a lot of people would show fear, Mark shows peace. Last week he preached on, uh, from Jesus' last words to his disciples, his legacy that he was leaving with his disciples in, in the book of John. And in John 16, we hear this. Jesus says to them, I've told you all these things, all the stuff I've been teaching you. I've told you this so that through me you may have peace. Now, I know a lot of you have experienced this. You were going through a dark time, a difficult time. A, a time where life felt chaotic, where it felt out of control, and, and you talked with Pastor Mark, and you just sensed a peace and a calm in him that told you everything was going to be okay. I, I know that not only has that happened for you as individuals, but I know that's happened for you as a congregation when uh, during some of Mark's early years here in ministry, it was a dark time. And there was a lot of difficulty, and and everybody was looking to him to see how he was going to react, and there was peace. I personally have experienced this. Uh, Mark and I are prayer partners. We get together once a week uh, through the gift of technology these days and are, and are able to, uh, to share prayer requests and hold one another accountable on things we want to be uh, held accountable on. And just this past summer, uh, someone I love and care about very, very deeply um, was in a very difficult position. And uh, there were any number of ways that that could have ended in disaster. And I was, quite frankly, terrified. Every time the phone rang, I would jump thinking the worst had happened. But it was like the second day of that week, and it was our regular time for prayer. And uh, we got on the call together, and Mark asked me right away, he said, well, how are things going? What can I be praying for for you? And, and I kind of poured my heart out to him, and, and I, I'm sure he could hear the terror in my voice. And I said, Mark, I, I'm just waiting for disaster to strike. I just, I know it's going to happen. The odds are great that this is going to be a disaster, and and he looked right through that camera, and he, and, he, and he looked at me and he said, 
Mark, I've just got a sense of peace about this. I, I, I just sense that God is in control here, and, and God has got this, and he is going to take care of this, and, and, and you're going to sit down at the end of this week, and you are going to be amazed at what God does. And I just, oh, I felt this incredible relief. And, and I, I told you, uh, by the way, he was right. God showed up in a huge way, and just, there's no other way to explain it, but it was a miracle that nothing went wrong, everything went perfect that week. And, uh, and the next week, I, I said to him, I said, Mark, I can't tell you how many times this week that I, I went back to your words and I heard those words from you again and I just felt that same peace that you have from God. That's one of the things I love about your pastor emeritus. How does that sound? You know what pastor emeritus means, right? Old guy we don't know what to do with? That's what that means. <laughs> But one of the things I love about Mark Zender is that he displays that peace that Jesus was talking about. All right, one last thing. I, I told you about the drive he hit that took incredible courage on the road hole, and I told you about the putt that he made that even though he was nervous, he just had peace and he just drilled that putt right into the center of the hole for his birdie. But I didn't tell you how he ended up on the green. Now, he's, he's in the middle of the fairway, and uh, I don't know, how many yards out were you, Mark? 180? Something like that? Yeah. Now, now the smart thing to do would be to take a 7 or an 8 iron and, and play it short and right of the, of the green and just hope maybe it runs up onto the front of the green and you could two-putt for par or, or it gets close enough to the green that you're away from that road and you're away from the, the bunker and you can chip it up there and get your par. That would have been the smart thing to do. That's what I'm sure his caddy was telling him to do. But you know what he did? He pulled out a 5 iron. A 5 iron. That's a hard club to hit, especially to a green like that. And with the, with the road hole bunker gaping and the, and the road just waiting for that ball, he hit that five iron onto the green. Now, here's why I tell you that, because I think that's nuts. I mean, that's crazy. Why would you hit that shot? Why would you even think you could hit that shot? And I think you've seen this during Mark's ministry, here at King of Kings, he's just a little crazy. <laughs> he, he comes up with stuff that for, for you guys to do in ministry as a congregation that, that in most churches they would go, are you nuts? I mean, here's, here's one example. At some point along the way, Mark said, hey, I got an idea. How about on our biggest Sunday of the year, we don't worship here at church? We just shut the place down. On Easter, let's, let's go rent the biggest arena we can find in Omaha and worship there. You guys did that for a while. That's crazy. But you know what? We kind of have a God that's a little bit crazy. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He, he, he said, for the message of the cross, the story about what God has done in our lives, the message of the cross, he says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. Folks, you want to know crazy? Crazy is God deciding he's going to create this universe by simply speaking it into being. Crazy is doing that knowing that we were going to sin and that we were going to mess that creation up and that he would have to come and, and, and Jesus would have to become one of us, literally become a human being. The God of the universe becomes a little baby in Bethlehem. That's crazy. And then he, he lives this perfect life among us, and then he goes to the cross, and the God of the universe dies.
so that we can be restored in our relationship with him, so that we would have hope, so that we would have his presence in our lives, so that we could have that peace that passes all understanding. That's crazy. And then he he rises from the dead three days later, and then he ascends into heaven, and then he gives us ministry to do. Now, if I were God, I would go, hey, why don't you guys just kind of kick back and relax um, and let me handle ministry, because you guys will just mess it up. But no, that's not what God does. He lets us be partners with him in ministry. That's, that's crazy. And, uh, and so I guess it shouldn't be surprising that Mark and Sharon, their ministry among you, it's been full of courage, and it's just had this incredible peace about it, and it's also been just a little, little crazy over the years. Now, I think it's good that we take a little time this morning to think about Mark's legacy among you. But I also think we want to remember that all of those talents that he has, that, that courage, that sense of peace, that kind of cool craziness that gets amazing things done, I think we ought to remember that you take all that and five bucks and you can get a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Because you see, without Jesus, none of that matters, does it? And Mark has experienced the power of Jesus in his life and in his ministry in a couple of amazing ways. And the first one is, this is from Hebrews chapter 13. The writer to the Hebrews says this, uh, they wrote, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I don't know if all of you know this or not. I'm guessing probably most of you did, but, but Mark stands on the shoulders of some giants. Look, look at this picture. This is, uh, this is Mark's dad and his grandpa, who are both amazing pastors, who are pastors that led with, with courage, who are pastors that, that had that same sense of peace about them. I don't know if they were as crazy as Mark, but, uh, but I guess they probably were. He stands on the shoulders of giants, giants that, that taught him, as I'm sure you've heard, Immer Fort, always forward, always moving forward, or that boiled ministry down uh, to the basics, to the, to the beautiful basics, and said, Mark, here's what ministry is all about. Preach the gospel and love your people. So we shouldn't be surprised of the legacy that Mark leaves. But even more than that, Mark knows clearly what Jesus talked about in John 15 when, again, talking to his disciples that night when he was about to be betrayed and crucified, he said this. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he gave them this warning. He said, but apart from me, you can't do anything. See, Mark and Sharon know that. They understand that. And, uh, and that's why their relationship with Jesus has been a central priority in their life and in their ministry. I, uh, I retired back in January, and uh, um, Mark, Mark came and preached at my retirement, which is probably the only reason he invited me to come here. He kind of felt like he had to, but... Uh, um, but uh, um, after I retired, 
my congregation, I'm, I'm staying in the congregation just like Mark and Sharon aren't going anywhere. They're going to be here. Um, I'm staying in the congregation, and, but my, my congregational leaders, uh, through, by the way, some wisdom from Mark along the way, uh, said, uh, it'd probably be good, uh, they said to me, if you didn't worship at Trinity for a few months and gave Nick, my, my successor, a chance to you know, begin in ministry without me looking over his shoulder all the time. And so I said, that, that, that's wise. That's good. And so my wife and I are like, well, where are we going to go to church? And, and there's a non-denominational church not far from us. And uh, we've heard really good things about it. I had met their senior pastor. He seemed like a great guy. And, and so we went. And, and uh, we went at like three Sundays in a row. And, and the guy's a dynamic preacher. They were doing this series about uh, small group Christian community and how important that is and tips for leading and, and, and existing in community as a small group. And my wife and I learned a lot of stuff. Um, he was using one of Paul's letters to talk about Christian community. And it was, they were, they were great messages. And, but after the third week, we were getting in the car and I looked at my wife and I said, you know what I just realized? We, we just went to church three weeks in a row and we heard three amazing messages about what it means to be in small group community. And not once did he mention Jesus? Not once. See, when I want to go to church, I want, I want to hear about Jesus. And you've heard about Jesus from this man. Every chance he got. Because he knows that no matter how much courage he has and no matter how many crazy cool ideas he comes up with and no matter how much peace he has in the midst of all kinds of chaos, none of that's going to matter if Jesus isn't in the center of it. And he has been. I, I loved hearing Thursday night we were here for the, the concert worship service uh, that, that was just awesome. It was long, but it was awesome. And... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and... and uh, um, and, and Mark was sharing that when there were those times in his life where he felt a little distant or a little dry in his relationship with Jesus, he would just sit down at that piano and just worship and, and get reconnected with Jesus. And that was so awesome to hear. W one last thing I want to share with you. And uh, um, this, I, I couldn't figure out how to relate this back to the road hole. We'll just forget that, right? But... Um, this one last passage, this is from Colossians chapter 3, where, where Paul wrote this. He's been talking about all these great um, gifts of the Spirit and things we can do in ministry. And he says this, above all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. Folks, if you call King of Kings your church home, I hope you know, and I believe you do, I hope you know how much they love you, because they do. But, but it's not just their love they've shared with you. It's the love of Jesus. It's the love of your God that they have shared with you. I mean, think about this. We have a God that, whose word describes him, not, not as someone who loves, but as someone who is love. The Bible says God is love, and that love led him to send his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That, that, that love led him to, to prepare a place for us 
so that we can be in heaven with him. You know, there's that beautiful verse in John when he says, you know, I'm going to prayer place for you. And uh, in my father's house, there's many rooms. And we kind of get focused on the rooms part. And what are those rooms going to be like? Are they mansions? What are they, you know, what, what, what does that mean? And, but, but when we do that, we miss why Jesus said. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe wants nothing more than to spend eternity with you. And that that love he has for you is unconditional. We say it this way at our church. There is nothing you could ever do that would make God love you one bit less. Now think about that. Nothing you could ever do could make God love you any less than he loved you when he created you. Had this gentleman that had started worshiping in our church regularly, his wife had finally convinced him to start coming, and he kind of liked it, so he, he kept coming, and he'd been coming for a few years, and um, at, at this point, I, one Sunday, we needed somebody to help with communion, and, and so I went up to him, and I said, hey, would, would you help us distribute communion this morning? And he said, whoa, no, I don't think I could do that. And I said, why? And he said, I'm afraid if I get too close to that altar, lightning's going to strike me. And now, you laugh, and I laughed. He was dead serious. And I said to him, why would you say something like that? And I will never forget the words he said to me. He said, Pastor Mark, you always tell me God loves me. But I've done some pretty bad things in my life, and I think there are a lot of people he loves a lot more than me. What a joy it was to look him in the eye and say, that's a lie. That's not true. There's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you one bit less than he loved you the moment he created you. And by the way, flip that on his head. There's nothing you have to do or can do to make him love you anymore. His love for you is full and free and complete. And that's the kind of love that has ruled in Mark and Sharon's marriage and in their family. That's the kind of love that they have shared with you as the people of God here that unconditional love of Jesus that they have received overflowing to you. One last quick thing. Last week in his sermon, Mark said something that really struck me. He said that that he thought there were many pastors that when they get to the end of their ministry, they look back and they feel like the church took something away from them. And, And I think he's right. In fact, I think I think the vast majority of pastors feel that way. But he said, Sharon and I don't feel that way. We, we feel like you guys gave something to us, something precious and something wonderful. Because you see, that love that has ruled their ministry among you, you have reflected back to them. Folks, this church is just overflowing with love. And, and it, somebody that comes in from the outside can see it. You guys, I think you get used to it. You just expect, well, this is what churches are like, right? They're not. Every time I come here, I walk away going, man, the people at that church, they love each other. And that love has been a hallmark of your ministry here and a hallmark of this church. Zach said before, he said, I hope there's some urgency in the message this last time. No, that's not exactly the way you said it. So here's the urgency. Share that love with someone today. When, when you walk out of here, there is somebody in your life, I guarantee it, who needs to experience that love outside of this place. 
Go share that love. In Jesus' name, amen.